0: Empire. Welcome to Inside the Cap. I am your host, Joel Corey. You can find me on Twitter at Corey Joel, that is C O R R Y J O E L. And also, you can read my regular column at cbsports.com in Agent's Take. Uh, this week, we are going to be looking at what I call some flawed NFL contracts that were signed this year. In the NFL, the devil is in the details uh, because the contracts aren't fully guaranteed like in Major League Baseball and the National Basketball Association. Uh, that makes structure critical because... If you don't have a good structure and you don't have fully guaranteed contracts then the contracts are kind of meaningless and they're not really worth the paper that they are printed on so what you want to avoid is a backloaded contract meaning that more of the compensation is in the latter years as opposed to the earlier years and once the guarantees run out in an NFL contract you basically have a series of team options where you're at the mercy of the team so Taking a look at some contracts and found some things that I would have done differently, or contracts I would not have done at all at the top of this list is the contract that Travis Kelsey did. Kelsey signed a four year um fifty seven point two five million dollar extension, averaging fourteen million three hundred twelve thousand five hundred dollars per year. This was in August, and it was. A few hours after, George Kittle drastically changed the stagnant tight end market with a five-year, $75 million extension averaging $15 million per year uh, with $40 million overall guarantees and 30 fully guaranteed at signing. All of those were records for a tight end contract. Now, the Kittle and Kelsey contracts couldn't be more different. I do not understand why this Kelsey deal was done. It is one of the most player-friendly, and I mean team-friendly contracts I've seen for a lucrative contract. Kelsey had two years remaining in his contract for $18.25 million, um, when it was done. Um, this was the deal that he signed in 2016. It was going to expire after the 2021 season. The way Kelsey is playing, no danger of being released before the contract expired. Now, this deal has a pay-as-you-go contract structure. Now, what that means is the players' cash and salary cap numbers are the same in each year. Because there isn't a signing bonus. And and signing bonuses can be prorated over the life of a contract. And signing bonuses are critical in NFL contracts because they are one way to deter a team from releasing you. Because if you have a big signing bonus, you have to deal with the acceleration of the bonus proration, which becomes a cap charge in the current year, depending upon the timing of your release. If you got a huge deal which is close to setting the market, you expect someone to get a raise in the current year. Kelsey didn't. He's getting the same $9.25 million that he was supposed to make in the old contract. He's only getting $4.25 million of new money over the remaining two years of his previous contract, the 2016 extension. The first two years are fully guaranteed, so it wasn't getting cut, so that guarantee to me is meaningless. Um, only $2 million of a $6.5 million 2022 base salary has a guarantee. It's guaranteed for injury, becomes fully guaranteed on March of 2022, the third day of the league year. Now, the entire $6.5 million really should have been guaranteed on the third day of the 2021 league year. So, basically, Chiefs can get rid of Kelsey anytime they want. No signing bonus, 2022 base salary doesn't become – fully guaranteed until march 2022 so if casey uh, kelsey has a bad 2021 he's gone no dead money no adverse cap consequences last type of contract you want from a player standpoint now through the first new year 2022 he's got 11.75 million of new money now if he plays it out have to franchise him that number was going to be 11.65 million um, and I'm assuming that he was going he's got this base salary escalator in his contract, and I'm assuming he's gonna earn the base salary escalator of seven fifty like he has past two years, which would add to his twenty twenty one twenty twenty one salary which would in turn would increase his twenty twenty two franchise number so he has twenty five million of new money first two new new years that's through twenty twenty three that's 630000 dollars less than if he'd been franchised twice I don't know why. You're giving up four new years. You don't get any new money this year. You barely have any new money through the first two years, existing years of your contract. You're not getting enough of a premium or enough security to do what he did. Classic example of having four team options. That's what, this, that's what the Chiefs have starting in 2022. I am not giving a team four new options to really get no nothing up front, but that's his prerogative. Now, this deal is about as backloaded as you get. The new money after each of the first three years, $11.75 million, $25 million, and $40 million. One of the things I look at is percentage of money after each new contract year, or in the case of a deal which is an extension after each contract year instead of new contract years. Now, there's something what I call a neutral deal. In a four-year deal, four-year extension, or four-year deal, you should, at a minimum, be at 25% after the first year or first new contract year, 50% year two, 75% year three. Kelsey ain't anywhere close to that. He's at 20.5%, 43.7%, and 69.8% after the first, second, and third new contract years. Neutral deal, not ideal, but under a neutral deal, then first year, should have been at fourteen million three hundred twelve thousand five hundred. Second year should have been twenty eight six two five. Third year should have been approaching forty three million, and that's just to be neutral, not even a uh, deal which would be player friendly or structured in the way it probably should have been. Given he's in the discussion for the best tight end in the NFL, so really. The cash should have been like 21.25, 32.5, and 44.125 million after the first three uh, new contract years. If you look at some of the other lucrative um, four-year extensions for veteran players that were signed with two years remaining on a contract, so he's almost 10 million short of where he should have been through the first new contract year. It's about seven and a half million short. Where he should have been through the second new contract year, and he's a little over four million short. And where he should have been through the third new contract year, I would not have been. I would not have wanted to sign this contract. If I had a client that really wanted to do a deal, was that anxious to do a deal? I would have been explaining to him, left and right, why this structure makes absolutely no sense for him. You got to remember that um, an agent works for the player, not the other way around. I would not want my name attached to this deal or associated with this deal because quite frankly, it never should have been done. Okay, let's turn our attention to another one of these contracts that I think is flawed. And this one may surprise some people. Um, Amari Cooper, um, unrestricted free agent this year, re-upped with the Dallas Cowboys. Five-year, $100 million contract, averaging $20 million per year deal made him at the time second highest paid wide receiver what's wrong with that well you got to put that deal into context cooper as an unrestricted free agent had another suitor within the division the washington redskins that really wanted to sign him and my understanding is the redskins were going to make him the highest paid wide receiver in nfl history at that time um the standard was Julio Jones at $22 million per year. problem is this deal is structured very poorly. Dallas already has a precedent set with DeMarcus Lawrence last year as a franchise player. So, at a minimum, Amari Cooper's structure should have matched DeMarcus Lawrence's. And since DeMarcus Lawrence signed as a franchise player and Cooper signed as an unrestricted free agent, he should have had a team coming after him. He should have had the leverage to get a much better structure than Marcus Lawrence. Now, his $100 million over five years neutral deal. Cash goes 20 $40, 60000000 $80 million, $100 million. Not how it's supposed to be, given all the dynamics with this deal. He's got a $10 million signing bonus. First two years of fully guaranteed at signing. Third year, 2022, guaranteed for injury signing. Doesn't become fully guaranteed through to, until 2022. Well, it's not what happened with Marcus Lawrence, who was franchised. Demarcus Lawrence, $25 million signing bonus, bigger signing bonus on a deal which was $105 million over five years. Comp old deal. Demarcus Lawrence's third year becomes fully guaranteed in the second year. So that's 2021 for Demarcus Lawrence. That became fully guaranteed this past March. They actually did the same thing um, in 2015 with Des Bryant. Third year became fully guaranteed in the second year. Cash flow for Demarcus Lawrence and Des Bryant, much better than Amari Cooper. If you know what a team's done, you can hold their feet to the fire and at least get what they've done. You can use that against them. So I don't know how this happened. Demarcus Lawrence gets, an, I mean, um, Amari Cooper gets an inferior structure. To Demarcus Lawrence and a Des Bryant deal. And Bryant, a receiver. Same position as Amari Cooper. Their last number one. So, really, if you look at what the Caspo percentages are of uh, Bryant's deals and Lawrence's deal, those two deals, they're at basically 31%, 46%, 63% after the first three years. So, Cooper should have been able to. Uh, be in that same vicinity a little more. So at a minimum, he should have been at 31 million, 46 million, 63 million after the first three contract years. Now, Cooper is done. He's made himself real vulnerable with this um, structure. That Cowboys, if they decide to cut him after uh, 2021, they think Ceedee Lamb's the number one receiver. He doesn't have a great. I mean, have a great 2021. Then in 2022, and that comes up, they'll have six million dollars in dead money. And that's it, and can walk away. If he'd structured it like DeMarcus Lawrence, wouldn't be the case. Because his third year would have become fully guaranteed in 2021. And the earliest realistic exit point would have been 2023 as opposed to 2022. DeMarcus Lawrence is not having a great year this year. But because that third year is already fully guaranteed, they'll have a $32 million cap charge for releasing DeMarcus Lawrence next offseason unless the post-G1 designation Is used, then they can split the cap hit into two years. So that's how Cooper's deal should have looked, but it doesn't, and that's why Cooper's deal makes this list. Another contract that got my attention um, was Jadavius White's um, extension. Um, White signed a deal um, about a week before the regular season started, four year extension worth $69 million, a $69 million extension. Uh, Max out at $70 million because of incentives, which made him the highest-paid cornerback in the league at $17.25 million per year. Um, deal has $55 million in guarantees, uh, $37 million um, fully guaranteed at signing. Ordinarily, that'd be great that he becomes the uh, highest-paid cornerback. Only problem is, even Stevie Wonder could have seen that Tredavious White was leaving money on the table. By doing the deal when he did. And that's because everybody in the industry knew that there was a strong probability that Jalen Ramsey was going to get a new deal from the Rams. And Jalen Ramsey, last year when he was still a a Jaguar, still playing for the Jacksonville Jaguars... Uh, stole a line from Deion Sanders, instead they're going to need have to back up a Brinks truck to pay him. So this was going to be a deal which reset a cornerback market that honestly hadn't moved a whole lot since Patrick Peterson and Richard Sermon signed at $14 million per year in 2014. It didn't start moving until this year in free agency when Byron Jones got the ball rolling. Um, for a deal averaging $16.5 million a year to become a Miami Dolphin. So, if you know that deal is coming, what do you do? You wait. You let Jalen Ramsey move the needle. You draft under him. That's your way to maximize your compensation. Now, I've heard that um, from sources that Tredavious White was impatient and was anxious to get a deal done. Yeah, okay, that's fine. You're supposed to execute your client's wishes, but I had anxious, impatient clients when I was an agent, and normally I could explain to them the situation and tell them, you know what, I know you want to get the deal done, give me a week, we'll get it closed Saturday, you're not going to play a regular season game on your rookie contract, but let me, give me time, because it's going to be well worth your while, and the client, I would say almost every time, would let me do my thing. I don't know how, I don't know what the dynamics were in this particular instance, but just from my experience, you you probably could get your client to wait um, if you're inclined to do so. And also, Ramsey was letting his agent do his own thing. So, you know, when that's the case, the agent's going to be driving the hardest bargain because he doesn't have a whole lot of pressure from his client to get something done. Now, what happens? Ramsey becomes the first $20 million per year defensive back two days before the regular season starts. So you got time if you wait to get a deal done. The Khalil Mack trade two years ago, sign-and-trade, that deal got done in like a 24-hour period. When teams and a player agent are sufficiently motivated, things can come together very quickly. So there would have been enough time if White waits to benefit from the Ramsey deal. It's a five-year, $100 million extension, up to $105 million because of salary escalators. A cornerback record, almost $44 million fully guaranteed at signing. 71.0, oh, $71.203 million, point, 71.0203 million in total guarantees. Another cornerback record. White may have actually hurt Ramsey because you got White, who was a first-team All-Pro last year, Coming in at seventeen point two five. Ramsey's trying to fundamentally change the market. That may have stopped him from getting the twenty one million per year. I don't know it, but when <laughs> you get a deal which comes in below expectations or comes in which you don't think is gonna help you, the other team the other side is gonna use it against you. We can quantify how much money White left on the table. For one reason. Three weeks into the regular season. Guy in um, White's draft class. Marlon Humphrey, 2017 first round pick as well, signs an extension with the Baltimore Ravens. 5 years, 197 5 years, 97.5 million dollar extension worth up to 98.75 million through incentives, basically 67 million in guarantees, 40 fully guaranteed signing. So, the base value of the deal, $19.5 million per year. Marlon Humphrey got the deal White was supposed to get if he waits for Jalen Ramsey to get done. That's why White's deal is on this list. There's one other deal I want to talk about. That is uh, Yannick Gakway. Gakway, um franchise player this year. Jacksonville franchised him for 17.788 million. He wasn't gonna sign that tender. Wasn't gonna play for Jacksonville again. Had been pushing for a trade ever since he got the franchise tag. Once out of Jacksonville so badly, he takes a huge pay cut to go to Minnesota. To facilitate the pay cut, to facilitate the trade takes a third over a thirty percent pay cut. His tender was seventeen point seven eight eight million signed for twelve million. That's not new. Last year, we had um, Van Clowney take a pay cut. Didn't take that big of a pay cut. His was slightly under $975,000 of a pay cut when he went from the Houston Texans to the Seattle Seahawks in a franchise player trade right before the regular season started in 2019. One big difference besides the pay cut amount. Clowney got a clause where it, prevents the, um, it prevented the Seahawks from putting a franchise tag on him. Ngakwe didn't get a clause. Took a huge pay cut, instead of uh, a $5.788 million pay cut, and didn't get that clause, so he could be franchised again. Well, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good, because everything's going to work out not having that clause for Ngakwe for one reason. The Vikings got such a poor start, they dealt him this week to the Ravens. There's no chance. Well, actually, I shouldn't say no. There's a small chance that he'll get franchised next year. Ronnie Stanley is going to get franchised by the Ravens next year if he can't sign a long-term deal. So, that means Ngakwe is off the hook for not getting a clause he should have gotten with the trade to the Vikings. So, he'll hit He'll hit the open market, and everything's probably going to work out fine for Ngakwe because... Uh, I know the cap's going to be $175 million next year uh, at a minimum. Um, it's going to drop because of the coronavirus pandemic. But he's got five sacks in six games. He's, out, he's he's playing well. He's on pace for a career-high 13 sacks. So he'll hit the open market because Matthew Judon was franchised this year by the Ravens, the other edge rusher. He might get the tag over in Gakwe if, for some reason, Ronnie Stanley gets done before the designation period. Um, closes next March when teams have to decide to put a franchise or transition tag on someone. So, Agakwe could be the third option for the franchise tag. So, he's pretty much assured of free agency. Unless he just goes gangbusters and sets like a franchise record for sacks, then he may move up above Matthew Judon. But, I don't think he ever gets a franchise tag over Ronnie Stanley if they both have expiring contracts and could hit the open market. But, still... You can't really expect the circumstances which happened to Ngakwe to cut in your favor because he really was putting himself in a position where he was going to cost himself money because of the uh, decision he made. It's going to work out in the end for him. The one thing he did do potentially is set a bad precedent for other players who really want out after getting franchised. That... Team is going to point to the Vikings, and go hey yeah, we'll let you out, we'll trade you. But it's going to have to be a new a new team. Will go yeah, we'll take you on. But hey, there's going to have to be a huge pay cut to, to do it. And don't even think about a clause like Clowney, where we can't control your rights through a franchise or transition tag the next year. And particularly if you're going to have uh, someone getting franchised next year. Because the cap drops, we don't know what it's going to be in 2022, how much it's going to rebound. So, yeah, in um, Glockaway is working out for him, but opens the door for a new precedent to be set. You never want to be the one who sets a new precedent can be that can be used against players. So we'll see how that goes down the road. But still, not the best decision, but it's going to work out for him. All right, that is uh, this week's episode of Inside the Cap. Um, you can find me. On Twitter, at Corey Joel, that is C-O-R-R-Y-J-O-E-L. And also my regular column at CBSSports.com, called an agent state. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here next week. Goodbye.